Welcome to Next Nest, our podcast for empty nesters and retired couples. Did you get your kicks on Route 66? (laughs) If you did, this podcast is probably for you. We focus our chats towards members of the Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints. Have to say that whole name now. (laughs) But you other friends are welcome to listen in too. My lovely co-host Irene Hill is out somewhere gallivanting around the world today. But we're going to proceed without her anyway. And today, we're talking about something that we think applies to pretty much anyone in our generation. What happens in a marriage relationship as we age? We have with us today our special guest, Camille Foster, a social worker in Utah. And she's going to talk about this. She's the expert, not me. Camille has a master's in social work from the University of Utah. She's been practicing and and owning a counseling firm called the Provo Counseling Center. And now she's also teaching graduate students at Brigham Young University. And those students will be going into counseling for their careers. And I'm sure uh, Camille is a tremendous help for them. She has a Facebook page, Camille Comments, Mm -hmm. and a boatload of experience counseling older married couples. And so welcome, Camille. It's great to be here. Good. How, uh, How are you doing today? Great. Yeah, wonderful. How are your students today? They, they were excited and engaged. A lot of fun. They were. Yeah. Okay. And you have like five or six mm-hmm. that you work mm-hmm. with on a daily basis. That is uh, tremendous. I know that uh, being on campus here, there are a lot of students who need your help and their help <laughs> as they try to wend their way through the challenges of life. So let's uh, just get started. First of all, I want to ask you a, the kind of a personal question that is this just what got you into counseling how did you decide to do that that's a really good question so um i didn't go back to school until i had been a stay-at-home mom for 25 years i had five children and i just felt stuck in a lot of areas of my life and stuck particularly in trying to raise them i have a couple with anxiety and depression adhd um, just just some different challenges that way. And so I began to consult with professionals and research everything I could. And I discovered I had a passion for the field. And I was reading my patriarchal blessing and all of a sudden a line that I'd never seen before in quite that same way jumped out at me. And I received a very strong impression that this is what I was to do. So at the mature, wonderful age of 47, I went back to school. My daughter bought me my first pair of jeans, so I didn't show up in mom jeans, and off I went. Good deal. I love teaching. We've had a few um, non, what are they, regular, if you will, students come through our program, and I love working with them. They're, They're always a great addition. The younger students need the example. And um, it's it's the advice and wisdom. It's great. All right. So um, <clears throat> life, it seems, uh, plays out in phases uh, to me. We start, we're young and, uh, and frolicky, and we move into adulthood, and then to middle age, and before we know it, we're in these sunset years, if you will. I don't know if those categories are correct, but you know what we're talking about here. So is I think there, it describes it pretty well. Does sure. it do that? Okay. So is there anything important for us to know 
about relationships as we move through these stages? Or do their relationships static or do they change? Well, I definitely think they change, but I think it's important to understand when you're in a transition, what other transitions in your life have been like. For example, when you had just stayed at home and you hadn't gone to school, and all of a sudden you climb on the school bus and you're away from your mom all day, that's a huge transition. And you might have feelings of wishing you still got to stay at home and that schoolwork is so hard and you you miss you miss your life that you had before you started school but eventually once you accept the reality of your situation and the requirements of that situation you begin to adjust and you begin to enjoy it and just as you kind of settle in you move on to first grade and you learn reading and you think back oh i wish i were back in kindergarten again it was so nice and so easy and before you know it you're moving on to junior high and that's a really awkward difficult transition for most of us, most of us have very painful memories about junior high, we go into high school, college, missions, or early marriage. And if you think back on those transitional times, it wasn't all that great. There were times when you felt anxious. There were times when you felt stressed. There were times when you looked with fondness back on the other stages that you've been through. And I think as you approach old age or that aging time of your life, there's no exception. You're going to have dreams or wishes that you were back again when you remember things being so much easier. And so I think if you just accept that each change brings with it a little bit of distress, a little bit of reorientation, and that's all normal, it's going to be easier to go into a new stage. Okay. Uh, obviously, those things play out differently for each individual. But if we look at it generally, and I don't know if I'm being PC here or not, but if we look at it generically, are, can we say that there might be differences between men and women in the way those things kind of play out? Absolutely. Oftentimes, women, as they begin to um, reach menopause and they begin to age, they can have a, a surge of testosterone and they can decide that they want to go out and they want to start their own business and they want a career. And at this same time, their husband is looking back on life and realizing that he missed out on connections and relationships and having a strong urge to stay at home more and reconnect with family and children. And this can be compatible if both work with it, or it can create a lot of disharmony if both aren't willing to accept the differences. We talk a lot about, we hear about midlife crises and I think mostly those are associated with men when we talk about them. What about women? Oh, absolutely. So just to clarify, there's no clinical term midlife crisis. Mm -hmm. Many times what happens is people have put off hopes and dreams or they've conformed to others' expectations. And by the time they reach midlife, they, they're done with that. And it can almost be compared to being a teenager. And they can feel rebellious, they can feel um, bitterness, um, and, and they, do, they do go through changes in the way other people are perceiving them. It doesn't mean that it wasn't there all along, it just means they couldn't find their voice early enough in their life to express it in a helpful way. And sometimes it's a very destructive time for some people. So it doesn't really come at a certain age. It can be different ages for different people, and it can play out in very different ways, yep. I would imagine. Yep. Okay. Well, all of us, 
I think as we get, uh, I don't like to use that word older, you know, that, that mature. dates us. <laughs> okay, mature I think works. All of us seem to kind of want to leave this world with something that we can leave behind, something that, that says this, yeah, Rob or Camille was here. Uh, what kind of things, does that become more critical for us as we move through the later stages of life? And so what kind of things sometimes make sure for us that we're changing in a way that can leave us fulfilled with our lives? Um, let me back up to give a little bit of background on that. Okay. Yes, absolutely. We want to search for meaning and integrity in our later years. And Eric Erickson, who was a sociologist who, who uh, did a developmental model that we still follow today, he called this stage of life integrity versus despair. Mm -hmm. So if we look back on our life and, you know, we have kind of some compassion for ourselves and we understand that we, that we didn't do everything perfectly, but generally we're happy with our life and we feel f fulfilled. We have integrity. And we're, we, we have contentment and peace and we're willing to kind of move on. If we don't feel that way about our life, we, we can fall into despair and depression and discouragement. And, and it becomes a really challenging phase to come out of. So we always have to be living life to what's my greatest purpose here? What am I doing here? Am I fulfilling my purpose? And I think there's, there's always benefit in realigning with why am I here? What is my mission? And what does God expect of me? Okay. What if uh, these things play out? It, it, I mean, obviously, we're talking to members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. What about other people who may not believe that it's it's God per se who is carrying us through, but we still have this kind of need to be fulfilled in our lives? Does, does that play out the same way? Absolutely. I think everybody needs a purpose and and something that they feel contributes to the planet in their own unique way. Okay. We all have different things happen to us as we move through life. Life It seems like curveballs are thrown to us every day, every month, year, whatever, and, and um, how generally do e events like this or things that we didn't anticipate, things that might have um, disappointed or discouraged us, how do those play out in, generally in our lives as we move ahead? Well, I think um, it, it tests our resiliency. Um, I'm a skier. And I, when I'm feeling confident and really good about my form coming down the hill, I bend my knees, I relax into it. And when I get, you know, the snow being uneven, maybe an icy patch or whatever, I can recover really quickly. But if I'm tired and I'm stressed and the lighting's not quite right, if I get a little bump in the road and I'm not relaxing into it, boom, I can fall and, and it can be very disorienting. And, it, and it's the same thing in our lives. We have to have a feeling of balance and of support and of confidence or these, or these curves can really throw us off and really put us into a tailspin. And it's important to have a social support system that really kind of helps ride us, kind of helps put us back on track. That can be through family, it can be through the church, it can be through community, career, but we all need something that helps balance us. 
Kenny, you talk about the social support system. We're looking at relationships, and so far we've been talking kind of individually how we go through life and how that affects us. How does our spouse play a role in that social support system that we're talking about as we move ahead? Well, it's about relationships. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. And many times, couples thought they'd kind of mastered marriage and but really as they as one retires and there's more free time they find that they actually had been living very parallel tracks and the husband had been in control of the business and the finances and and the wife had taken the family and the home or different community interests and they had been able to have a lot of control in their world and they had not had to really share control or share vision and dreams and so then all of a sudden in retirement, they're faced with that they have to realign and realign with a sense of purpose and kind of negotiate power again. And it can be a really awkward transition as they're finding their way through it. And if they'll balance both, both perspectives of how you want to see it take off and if they um, are okay of a few bumps and bruises along the way, they can negotiate it. If they get very rigid and very... Um, you know, take that ski hill with just a lot of tenseness, they're probably going to fall and, and, and have a difficult time. All right, so they wake up in the morning and they look across the bed and they look at their spouse and say, who is this person? Yep, very common. It happens, huh? So why, it seems to me, it, it, obviously you can look at that and you can say, this is a huge challenge. I have this person that... I don't even know anymore and uh, we need to find a way to keep our relationship going but it also seems like it could be an incredible opportunity. It can be an incredible opportunity and one of the things that you both share is you have memories mm. and you have experiences and those are touchstones and you can go back to those and you can reminisce and you, you know each other's joys, you know each other's sorrows. And you, you can be a valuable resource for that other person in a way that no one else who has, has not shared their life with them can be. So it's an amazing opportunity to reconnect, to strengthen the relationship, but also joy in the successes that the relationship has enjoyed through the years. Okay. Two things are coming to my mind right now, and I, I don't even know if they're related, but one is that when I was... Uh, a youngster, I used to look at people who were really, really, really old, like 40, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. 50, something like that. I'm so old. <laughs> and I would look at them and I would think, you know, they've got it all figured out. Their lives by this point must be pretty, pretty near perfect in every way. And I realize as I get older that that's far from the truth. And so that alone is kind of a shock in how you deal with that. The other one is... You know, I think you talk about looking back and uh, kind of reminisce about the good things, and good old days, and, and forgetting the bad old days, I think. But uh, when we're young and we fall in love, there's this Twitter patient and this kind of infatuation and all of that kind of stuff. But we have these really strong feelings. I have heard uh, couples who have for whatever reason, remarried again later in life, and they find somebody, and you can tell that they're almost these same feelings of Twitter patient and everything. How can you, if, if you've lost that in your marriage, 
And here you are as empty nesters all alone again with this opportunity. How do you restore, well, maybe not those young feelings, but this feeling of real deep love and satisfaction and looking at your wife saying, man, she's hot, you know. What do you do? I think it starts with gratitude. I think when anyone is dissatisfied with a marriage partner, they've lost their sense of awe and gratitude for that person. And so, and I, and I think this is where you can, you can ask for spiritual help. But I think that you, if you want to really strengthen your marriage at this point, you need to really think about the strengths that that person has, the resiliency that person has, and how grateful you are that they have shared their life with you. Okay. And hopefully for many, many years. That's right. If you look at a marriage, a couple gets to that stage where the kids are gone, they're around somewhere, we still like to have them in their lives, we love to have the grandkids in our lives, but um, we're in a late stage marriage, we know that by this time that we, we still hope we have a lot of years left, but they're, they're diminishing. How do we create rewards at that stage of our lives with a relationship? And also, what kind of things do we need to watch out for? I think we need to watch out for complacency. I think we need to watch out for boredom. I think we need to watch out for ingratitude. And I think we need to plan for surprise and curiosity. Uh, nobody likes to watch a movie that they don't get a plot twist that just surprises them. No one likes to listen to music that never changes rhythm, never changes intensity or vibrato. And our lives are the same way. We have to never lose our wonderment and our astonishment at just living life. And I think one of the opportunities that this age of life affords us is that of travel. Mm -hmm. If you want to shake up your life and shake up um, what you are, the doldrums that you're in, travel. First of all, it'll be nothing will probably go the way you want it to go, so your flexibility be test. You'll see sites that never occurred to you before, and you'll talk to people, you'll taste different foods, so travel is an amazing opportunity. And the other thing is look for the humor. Look for the humor in just the everyday. The other night, I came into the kitchen, and my husband had cleaned up the kitchen for me, which was very nice. Mm -hmm. But he forgets occasionally my dishwasher rules, which are the nice pots and pans and knives don't go in the dishwasher. And, the, and I have a, a prized possession, a rolling pin, that my grandmother, who was born in 1886, rolled out all of her pastries and all of her pies. And I have used that for the last 40 years. And it has this gold sheen to it. And it it can't go in the dishwasher, which I've explained that to him. So I went and I was unloading the dishwasher and I saw my grandma's rolling pin already had gone through the cycle. The gold rolling pin was now silver and tarnished. So I picked up that rolling pin and I headed into his office and I said, you put grandma's rolling pin into the dishwasher and I marched into his office. So my husband is 6'4" and over 250 pounds, and I cannot see him in his office. 
He has climbed into his tiny closet and cowering, <laughs> hiding from me. And I just took a snapshot of that vision, you know, that vision in my mind of me, 5'2", holding a rolling pin, rolling pin, furious, and a 6'4 man cowering in his closet, and I just burst out laughing. <laughs> and I think you just have to enjoy sometimes life's absurdity and silliness with a sense of humor. Sounds to me like you would be uh, well served to understand the Japanese culture where the woman is the queen of the kitchen and husbands <laughs> know. They just know. I don't even go in there. I don't dare. You know, uh, I know in, in our culture, the, the, the wife always wants the husband to be in there as long as we're doing the right thing. As long as you're following dishwasher rules. Yeah, okay. You talk about travel. I, I, I know that there are various things you can do with travel, and we'll have other podcasts in the future about that, but uh, one thing that comes to my mind, last summer, my wife and I, Clyde and I, were able to go to a conference uh, that we go to every once in a while in Slovenia, God's country. Slovenia is beautiful. And as part of that, we were able to go and do something. We, we enjoyed a lot of what we did. But one of the things we really enjoyed was something that we often do together right here at home. We went bike riding. But we went on a trail that went up through the Alps. And uh, that was amazing, amazing. And so, yeah, travel, uh, even if you're doing some of the things you normally do, it's a different place and a different right. experience, etc. Different food, so. different language, mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, we have kids and we lost, I mean, our kids left the nest as it were, but they're still around. Our grandkids are also still around and we love them. And we want to help them every way we can, even if we see them struggling. What do we do with, uh, what, what does dealing with kids and grandkids do sometimes to a relationship at our age? Oh, that's a really good point because one spouse <clears throat> may have lots of energy and lots of time and lots of patience with children and the other spouse may not. So that's something that needs to be negotiated. But I also think that they need, the couple needs to come up with a shared vision of what they want to leave, what legacy they want to leave with the grandchildren and what that's going to look like. Um, maybe they take them up and have a family reunion at grandpa's ranch and talk to them about memories like that. Um, I know my mother, was. it was very important, she passed away just a couple of years ago at 90, and it was very important to her that she write the stories of her childhood for her grandchildren because they didn't have any concept of what it was like to grow up in rural America on a farm in the Depression. And my dad supported her through that project, bought her a computer, hired a graphic artist for her, and they put together this wonderful book of my mom's stories, and it was a project they both worked on, and they had tears in their eyes as they shared it with the grandchildren. And every once in a while, and then we put it online, so it's also available online, and every once in a while I get, a, I get an email or a call, where's, where's the link to grandma's book again? And it, and it has really mattered to them. So I think if the couple sits down and says, what are life lessons we've learned? How do we want to share that with the grandkids? How do we connect them to the people we knew on the family line that they've never known? And they plan together that they can look at the opportunities to be with the grandchildren in productive, helpful ways. And that's part of 
you know, resolving that integrity versus despair answer. Seems to me that there also is a balance in there, right? That uh, sometimes we have a tendency to want to maybe say jump in and try to do something to help our grandkids without really recognizing fully that their parents are a really important part of that equation. Yeah. And how can we do that sometimes without stepping on toes of our own children? Well, I think we need to remember we're never the disciplinarians. Yeah. It's actually never our job. It's their parents' job. But I tell my kids, I accept that, but it's my job to play with them and have fun with them and give them as much sugar as I possibly can. Feed them the Oreo cookies, take them to get ice cream, all that wonderful stuff that that just uh, makes our our, uh, adult kids go crazy. That's right. That's job. (laughs) But we never correct them, and we never really give our children advice in raising their kids unless they ask. But it's their job, it's their journey, and we now get to just sit back and watch the struggle. That's part of a chicken's growth is breaking through that egg. Mm-hmm. If they don't do, if they don't break the shell themselves, they don't have enough strength to go on, and we have to just observe the process and 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 be content with our place in that process. And love. Mhm. Yeah. Well, kind of on a different line, I know that uh, Years ago, a decade, two, three, it was quite rare to see a couple get divorced at uh, at the empty nester stage. And now that seems to be increasing quite significantly. Why is that? Why that sudden upsurge? Well, I think that social pressures um, on couples staying together has eased. I think women's access into being able to provide for themselves has also increased. And then um, I think maybe sometimes couples don't take advantage of counseling and help to get through these awkward stages. I know I have children come to me in my practice that are just um, broken up about mom and dad's divorce, even though they're in their own midlife and in their own lives. It, it does break the family. And it... And, and every effort should be should be made to sustain a marriage. Every resource, every effort. Um, is there a there kind of particularly among men? I know there used to be a stigma about seeing counselors. Oh, I'm too tough and strong for that. Is is that breaking down? Somewhat, but I still definitely see that. Yeah. And so the wife is doing everything possible to try to <laughs> drag the husband in, saying this will be good for us and. No, I don't need that. Yep, I think that still that still exists, and we play with it. We can have a lot of fun with that in session. <laughs> I'll bet. So, given the possibility that you that divorce is increasing, what kind of things should empty nesters do to to try to make sure they avoid that to keep their marriage vibrant and strong? Give us the six great points. <laughs> I'm just kidding about that. I think they need to work on a mission statement Hmm. of together, what do we see happening with the rest of our life? And I think that then they also need to work on sharing power. Because in the past, the way they may have negotiated their lives, they didn't really have to share power. But I think that they have to learn how, like, that the other one has veto power over something. Mm -hmm. 
and um, they have to learn to come together on decisions and you work and work and work until both people feel good about the decision that you make. I know my parents, my mom did not want to serve a mission in a hot climate. Mm. My dad only wanted to serve 18 months. So they worked and worked and worked and to, to come up with a shared vision of how they could do it. And they ended up with a call. And at first it seemed great because it was New York and my mom can't handle heat. So she thought that was going to be really great. But then they got assigned to Bermuda. Oh, no. And my, my dad said to my mom, if this isn't the right calling for you, we won't do this. We will, we will try again. And my mom prayed about it. And she said, yes, the Lord's going to help me. And I can do Bermuda. But he didn't make her do it. She agreed on her own to do it. And I think it has to be this idea, if it works, if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for me, and we're going to keep working on this until we find the shared answer. Okay. I think that probably is a, also a day-to-day kind of a thing, too. I remember uh, an earlier podcast where our guest, Marnie uh, Wilson, was talking about uh, serving a senior mission together and, and they had gone through what you had talked about where they their lives have kind of they've done their own thing and now they're together and they're on this mission 24 7 uh, together and she said the first time they went shopping was a disaster because she had her way of doing it for the last 40 years and he came in and uh, didn't have anything else to do so he went shopping with her and the very first aisle he wanted to pick out everything and look at it and she just wanted to buy it and get done and uh, she said, so I finally had to say, look, you take every odd aisle, I will take every even aisle, and we'll meet at the cash register. So I would imagine those things, just day to day. Just day to day, renegotiating a life together. Okay. So the third thing I just would add on that is that just ask for, for help and make spirituality and humility and searching for the Lord's will in your life a component of of going into this next stage okay I don't know if you have had situations like this uh, come up in your counseling but we know that uh, unfortunately couples often we have great plans we have a mission things we want to do the rest of our lives and uh, all of a sudden this changes because one of the other dies or becomes incapacitated in some way how do you deal with that kind of a thing where all of a sudden you've got a different way that you've got to look at life and the travel and everything else kind of goes away? What do you do? Well, that is an unexpected jolt in the road, and it's it's never easy. And many times you might need to seek professional guidance or, or help to get through that, particularly if it's the loss, a sudden loss of a loved one that's been your life's companion. I remember as a small child that my grandmother would come and visit with us and when after she thought everyone was asleep she would just cry and cry for hours after hours and I went and told my mom and my mom said you know it's hard to miss and 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 my grandfather had died it's hard to leave your life companion you know and that grandma was going through a transition period so that can be very difficult if the other partner becomes um, handicapped in some way and, and loses um, some of their ability to get around. I think the mistake too many people make is that idea of like, it's going to be me, I'm going to dig in, I'm going to serve them, I'm going to take care of them. Because you need to recruit a team. You cannot burn out. And oftentimes, 
the caretaker is the one who dies first because they get so exhausted. So it needs to be something where you employ either family, friends, ward members, professionals, but you need to get team, team help on that. Obviously, it's hard for either person to lose their spouse after many years, but do men or women handle that differently, or do, I would assume women probably do better. Is that correct or not? Yeah, I think it depends on personality. It, it does seem to be that women have more, at least in the past, have had stronger social networking systems so that if they lose their spouse, they have their friends, they have their book club, and they have different things. And so they're, they appear to be more resilient. Um, and men appear to be a little more lost. They may not know their way around a kitchen. They may never have picked up hobbies and, or interests. And, um, but again, it does have to do with personality. And it has to do with personal ability to rebound. Well, I, I know that I cook a really mean Kraft macaroni and cheese. Uh, I do really well at boiling water, usually. So, uh, but yeah, I'm, I would imagine, and, and it's, we all have seen both ways. We've seen where, I uh, know in, in my family, uh, we all thought that my dad would go first. And that my mother, even though she's had health problems, would, would handle it okay. And then all of a sudden she's gone and my dad is still kicking yeah. seven years later, six yeah. years later. So we never know. You never know. So you've, you've said in the past, and uh, we all see this, we know kind of vaguely that there is a connection between physical well-being and emotional well-being. What about that? Uh, how, how does that play out, particularly in, in later life when physical well-being isn't always what we would hope it to be? That's a really good question. Um, so I do think the ailments and the difficulties that we encounter you know, we're quite a bit genetic based. And um, if we've got the cancer gene, for example, you know, that's just kind of one of life's cards that got dealt to us. But a lot is affected by our mental and emotional, and I'll say spiritual health. Health. Um, the, the research on people in concentration camps showed that those who would allow their suffering to have purpose and had a sense of mission after they got out and had people that they wanted to live so that they could get out and meet again, survived better, regardless of their physical health, health originally going in. And those that didn't have that type of an orientation perished really quickly. Mm. So again, we have to be spiritually aligned and we have to um, be accepting of the different obstacles that come our way. All right, we've done a half hour, Camille Foster. We're grateful for you being here. Is there anything else that you feel? I mean, obviously, there's a lot we haven't covered, but anything you're dying to say before we wrap this up? I would just to say, some sometimes people in this age group would not open themselves up to counseling, but I would say just just consider that a possibility. If all of a sudden you're very depressed you've lost a loved one, you've lost physical capacities that you had kind of counted on going into old age, don't be afraid of talking to a counselor. Um, you, might, you might be surprised at the, the, the refresh um, button can reset on, on your mind and your life. Along those lines, what's 
better to counsel individually or together? Or does it make a difference? Any kind of counseling you'll open yourself up to, like I think is great. I think it depends. And sometimes it's good to see the whole, a whole family system and sometimes it's better to see an individual. All right. Well, again, uh, we've been here for a while, and we're very grateful for Camille Foster for, for you coming over across campus and, <laughs> and uh, herding your way all the way uh, from Ninth East. And we appreciate that and look forward to chatting again someday. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Rob.